2: Star Talk. Your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide. Star Talk begins right now. Yes. Is Star Talk Radio. I'm your host, Neil deGrasse Tyson. I'm an astrophysicist with the American Museum of Natural History right here in New York City. And in studio with me is my co host. Chuck, nice comic. Hey, Neil. Chuck, when did the word comic apply to human beings rather than what you see in the Sunday paper?
1: Uh, you know, I'm not sure. I think once I put it on my Twitter handle. <laughs> Chuck, nice <laughs> comic. Go
2: plugs his Twitter handle. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good play. That was really... Not, not bad, right? That was smooth. Yeah. That, was, that was smooth. Smoother than, than usual. <laughs> uh, this is Star Talk After Hours. It's the Cosmic Queries part Uh uh, many Start Talk episodes. What we do is we collect questions on a specific topic from all of our media outlets, and we're almost everywhere. Google Plus. Uh, where else are we? Uh, look over to my Facebook. Yeah, yeah, definitely Facebook. Find you can like us there and uh, Start Talk. I mean Twitter. Twitter. Yeah, Start Talk Radio is our Twitter handle and. Uh, just, you, just Google Star Talk and find the, the the medium you like the best, and there we are. There's a veritable cornucopia of Star Talk for you to avail yourself of. That had way more syllables than necessary. <laughs> 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 He's just showing off your eight vocabulary words you picked up this past week. What are you here? talking about? Eight? I got those this morning from a calendar. <laughs> <laughs> so these are questions I haven't seen these before. No, but haven't. the theme today is human performance. And it's with emphasis on space, what your body would do in space and can it work, does it work. And uh, so you got them and Um, hand them over to me. And, And I haven't seen them before, so some numbers I might have to, you know, pull out of the ether, but we'll check them over the breaks. Okay. And... If I don't know an answer, I'll just say, you know,
1: Chuck, I don't have a clue. Go to the next one. We know that's not going to (laughs) happen, but that's cool. And I I must say, I am impressed with the fact that you sit there, you, you have a computer in front of you, but I noticed that you always make sure that you close it before we start this. And I think that's your way of saying, that's right. That's right. That's right. The, that, com- that's the, com- right. the computer I- up here is where this is coming from. Bring it on. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> go here we for go. it. All right. So let's uh, let's go to Facebook first. I mean, we got some Google Plus and we got some Twitter here, but let's go to Facebook first. I'm going to start off on a fun on a fun note, <laughs> and this is from Matthew Vixell. Okay. <laughs> What could the future of sports look like in space? Will Harry Potter fans get a chance to see a version of Quidditch implemented in microgravity? What effects would increased or decreased gravity have on water sports? So two, three real questions there. I'm more I'm more concerned about the Quidditch, but uh, wait, wait wait wait. Last I checked, in Quidditch they fly, right? That's right. So, so
2: one of the advantages of flying is that you're, you're not so much thinking about gravity because you can go anywhere in the three dimensions that space gives. It's we people who can't fly who are limited to the two dimensions of Earth's surface. Mm. So the broom, which they steer by leaning, left or right, mm-hmm. and has natural lift to it, mm-hmm. if you are in the vacuum of space, or free falling anywhere then there is no sort of net gravity force on you the buoyant force of the broom would be unnecessary in fact if it still had a buoyant force it wouldn't know where to buoyant you towards right, right? If, if if you're if if it wants to lift you up and in space, there is no up, oh, right? You'd have brooms going every which direction, not knowing. <laughs> so basically, Quidditch
1: would look like a Chinese fire drill.
2: Yeah, it would be a, quite a random looking. So you'd have you need surely the wizards, so they would specially design a broom for the specific purposes of space Quidditch. first of all. Now, if now there are two kinds of space Quidditch, you might imagine one that's in the vacuum of space and they're wearing space helmets. Mm-hmm. or one that's on a planet that has an atmosphere and it just has a slightly different gravity. all right. So if it's a slightly different gravity, it's the same it's game. It's the same game. Same game. Right. So that's not even interesting. But if you're in the vacuum of space, uh, then uh, let me see. So, so there'd be no atmospheric drag on, uh, uh, on anything you throw. Mm-hmm. And the, what do you call the, the little birdie thingy with the flappy wings?
1: Um, um, oh, God. Oh, now it's killing
2: me. Oh, you know, we now have yeah, we a, know what a zillion Harry Potter fans saying, lo- oh my gosh, we right. just lost. How could you not know that? <laughs> I think it's the snitch. It's the it snitch. is the snitch. Yes. Nice job. Okay. That was impressive. I got that all from my kids. Okay, <laughs> So the snitch, of course, we presume is, uh, it doesn't have broom powers, but is actually aerodynamically supporting itself with flapping wings. Oh, so yes. Like, hum- uh, like, like uh, a hummingbird. Like a hummingbird style. Yeah, so... Uh, Wings are useless in zero G. (laughs) That was the odd thing about naming the lunar module the Eagle. That kind of worried me a bit. In 1969, Apollo 11, the lunar module. uh, What does Neil Armstrong say when he lands Houston Tranquility Base here? The eagle has, has landed. landed. And their patch was an eagle extending out its wings. This is because every mission has a, a uniquely designed mission patch. This one had wings extended outward and it was hovering over the lunar surface. <laughs> that doesn't work. That doesn't Okay? Right. A bird on an airless planet is a brick. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, the snitch, they'd have to redesign the snitch for that one. So it could be fun, but yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm? Right. A-, a swimming pool. All right. If you brought a swimming pool to Mars, okay. the atmospheric conditions of Mars, it is very low temperature, very low atmospheric pressure. Okay. Right now, do you remember what happens if you go to mountaintops? What happens to the boiling point of your cooking, uh, of your pot of water? It, uh, it 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 takes less time. No, uh, it takes less time to come, bring it to, to a boil, boil. but right. it takes longer to cook it because right. now it's cooking at a lower, lower temperature. temperature. Right. it'll boil like 180 degrees, 170 when it should be 212. Right. The higher you go in altitude, the thinner is the air, mm-hmm. the lower the temperature of your water. The lower is the temperature that water boils, right? right? If you keep dropping the air pressure, the boiling temperature continues to drop. There isn't a pressure at which the boiling point equals the freezing point. And that is the condition on the surface of Mars. Get out of here. It is the triple point of water, where water coexists as water, liquid, and gas. Dude, get and, out of here. And so if you had a swimming pool, it would be evaporating and there'd be ice chunks in it and you'd be swimming in the water surrounding the ice. So it'd be really different. You'd need uh, swimming events where you navigate the icebergs that are in your pool. And the water would just be smiling, happy, and would stay that way. Yo, it's that's, called the triple point. That's awesome. You got it. When we come back, more of Star Talk After Hours, Cosmic Query Edition. We are back. Star Talk Radio, After Hours Edition. The Cosmic Queries, and today we're through questions called from the internet, listener queries, all about human performance in space or anywhere else. Yeah. But space is cool, so we can focus on that. I got Chuck Nice in here with me. Chuck, just briefly, you got a, you're got you on a TV show now, and I, I laugh every time I read the description. It's great. You go into people's homes and do
1: what? <laughs> I go into people's homes. And they no, take... I forgot, let me say, people let you in their homes <laughs> and, you... and you do what? <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, that's a different show where I'm just going in. <laughs> uh, uh, people take me on a tour of their homes. They live in very weird, strange, or unconventional dwellings, and uh, I show up at the door and they're like, come on in, and I I kinda hang out with you. With that's the cool. camera I'm with the whole crew This well. is like 60 minutes With the camera at the door It's very cool It's a very uh-huh. cool thing I just pop in on them And uh, it's a home invasion show Ho- Home
2: invasion it's show It's a home invasion co- show co- Home
1: strange home, home Home strange home On
2: HGTV Crazy stuff Yeah oh, Good luck with that Yeah and they got another season You said They're Yeah man awesome So
1: we're, we're on hiatus right now But yeah. we'll be back in, Excellent uh, It's gonna be great Season two You said out. you were high? What, what oh hiatus That's always the case <laughs> I am still reeling From the triple point of water That you you bought up i you oh, know we i le- learned i learned a lot when i off the last segment with yeah. this yeah and, 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 and this is something i've never even heard of but it makes perfect sense the way you say it that as the atmospheric pressure is less and less mm-hmm. then water now can reach an equilibrium point where it can boil be and, liquid and freeze and, at the and same, freeze at the same time all at the same time yes
2: Blown away. Yeah, and it's it's well-known in physics, and it's called the triple point. The triple And it's a combination of pressure and temperature, and you adjust one and the other, and you can find out where all three forms of matter are just happy coexisting. So, in fact, it's not simply water— that happens to be evaporating, it is boiling water. It's boiling water. With ice cubes in it, and you have steam, water, and ice, all in one one stable form. And not every place on the Martian surface does this, but there are many places that do. It's very near the triple point of water. And so if you're gonna have a swimming contest in a place that's near the triple point of water, you just have to rethink how you navigate the
1: icebergs. Kind of like swimming in the East River at one point. You, you would have to navigate the bodies that <laughs> are floating right. <laughs> you got to get around them. exactly plus <laughs>
2: If it's boiling remember you remember the scene in in Lion King uh, one and a half <laughs> uh, where Pumbaa's in the, in, the in, this, in this hot tub In the hot tub, yeah. yes and, the, and it's bubbling And then Pumbaa gets out <laughs> And it stops bubbling <laughs> It stops <him>. bubbling <laughs> <laughs> Simba says, I'm out of here We're good <laughs> So, uh, yeah, so it's basically a jacuzzi Simply by exploiting the laws of physics Nice <laughs> Yeah, that's pretty cool man. All right, next All right, let's move
1: on Let's move on All right, this is from um, oh, oh, by the way, during yeah. the
2: Olympics I was constantly tweeting what all these events would look like in space and on the moon and on Mars. And it was a fun. Uh, if, you, if you're if you into mining archival tweets, you go to my Twitter stream, uh, Neil Tyson. I think the cleanest way to do it is just go to uh, the Twitter page. Right. Right. And then you find me and just scroll down. Take a while, but just the dates are there. Right. Go to when the Olympics were and you'll see a whole bunch of tweets about swimming and, and uh, gymnastics and – you know, I was worried that if the gravity were low enough, that if you jump on the springboard,
1: you'll uh, just go to orbit. Never it. come back. <laughs> never come. Never back. come back. God, that's my dream. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Okay. Let's uh, let's go to Jeffrey Runyon. Okay, and Jeffrey Runyon is coming to us through Google Plus. Mm-hmm. He says, if humans are ever going to travel to Mars. What are we going to eat along the way? Food has a major psychological aspect to it. If people are going to be under enormous stress in close quarters for two years or plus, two-plus years, uh, they're going to need more than astronaut ice cream to keep them going. Of course. And there, there's a whole dip-
2: – there's, psycholo- there's an entire – A branch of psychologists that are in the employ of NASA at Houston, uh, uh, yes, at the Johnson Space Center at Houston, whose sole job is to worry about the mental health of astronauts. Let's just get that up front. Really? Yes, there is. Okay. That's number one. Number two, the uh, about the food. I actually visited the kitchen. The 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 cosmic kitchen at NASA at Johnson, and you meet the chef who's making food that can last ten years without refrigeration. Wow, I had a steak that had been in a in a packet on the shelf for five years, unrefrigerated. so some foods they just com irradiated when you you know why does food decompose because there are microbes in it eating it before you have a chance to get there right that's why it's not a natural thing in the universe for something to decompose that only happens on earth Hmm. where there are microbes everywhere smaller than your eye can see but if you leave out a slab of meat they'll start chowing down on it okay so make sure you take this trip and there's no microbes on your food so you irradiate it. So there you have it. All right, now there are other problems. The molecular structure can break down. So the meat or whatever other food can start tasting mealy. Mm -hmm. So there's not only the taste of the food, but there's texture. Right. So you gotta be want to worry about that. Uh, All astronauts take comfort food with them. There's meatloaf. Mm -hmm. Okay, there's, you know, rice and beans. There's, you know, and tortillas. Tortillas, great, because it doesn't make crumbs when you eat it. Okay. Regular bread you eat it makes crumbs, and the crumbs are floating around the space station. Could end up in a duct somewhere. Right. All right. Uh, a tortilla doesn't make crumbs, so there are a lot of foods, <laughs> international foods at that, and especially. Evident in the International Space Station you start comparing food from different nationalities and you know, yo, what's cooking over there? And who's got a better smelling? uh, uh, Dinner for the evening. So uh, the point is they do think about what food to bring and you want uh, you want enough of a diversity of food that you can uh, You can spread the spread the love to different kinds of food groups and different uh, 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 nationalities, but the bottom line is you don't need more variation of food than most people would ever have in their own lives. Hmm. I bet you there's no more than two or three kinds of breakfast cereals you ever eat. Is that correct? You are correct. That's correct. And the, think about that. You know, there's not that many different things. And how many times do I eat a pizza and love it? You know, at least 20 times a month, practically. It, it is the perfect food. It is the perfect food. Exactly. So, And I will still eat me some astronaut ice cream. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, by the way, the trip there would take about nine months, the alignment of Earth and Mars. Uh, that alignment happens about once every two and a half years where you minimize the energy to get there. Right. And when you launch, it takes about nine months. But Earth and Mars are not still lined up for you to come back. You have to wait a few more years for that that next alignment to help you come back. So a total round trip Mars mission is going to be three or four years. Gotcha. So what you really want is like gardens on Mars. You're going to create a habit, a hab module, then, and you can grow pigs and cows if you're <laughs> carnivorous. <laughs> exactly. Or celery and carrots if you're a veggie. And, you
1: know, go to town. By the way, one of my favorite bands ever, Gardens on Mars. Oh, yeah. yeah. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. So what else you got? Here we go. Uh, Brian Lefkowitz. Neil, your favorite patter- <coughs> planet is Saturn F- Favorite your, fa- <laughs> platter- your favorite planet is Saturn How would the rings look from the surface? Weird Hmm. From what surface? From the surface of Saturn. So, or the it, surface of the so rings. When we see, well, when we see Saturn, we see those rings. Yeah. If you're on Saturn, what are you seeing? Okay, so first of all, I have to confess
2: my favorite planet is Earth. <laughs> but after Earth, <laughs> it's Saturn, all right? And of course, Saturn being a gas giant, has no surface so if i dropped you on saturn and you want to look at the rings you will descend down to the center of the planet through the clouds with no rings in sight what yeah well actually what will happen is you'll reach a point where the gas is under so much pressure it is the same density as your body oh my and god it,
1: i've reached that point myself
2: <laughs> <laughs> and you'll bob up and down like a cork at that location but and it's probably a very solid center but as probably farther in than where you would you so you need a way to sort of float Uh, you get it like a balloon or something and float in those outer regions of Saturn once there the rings are awesome how do I know because we have the Cassini spacecraft and Carolyn Porco who has a Twitter handle I think it's Carolyn Porco, actually. But, uh, <laughs> How th- th- strange. <laughs> <laughs> what a concept. Uh, I call her Madame, Sat- Madame Saturn, and she is, she is the keeper and the taker of these images that the Cassini spacecraft has uh, produced of the Saturnian system. And you look at those images in super duper high res, it is as though you are there. Nice. <laughs> and if, one, the coolest thing is these rings are stunning, but edge on, they disappear. That's how thin they are compared to their width. Well, yeah, they essentially disappear. Galileo first saw this in his telescope because he's looking at Saturn and he thought Saturn had these big ears. I mean, he playfully called them ears. Saturn went edge on. It depends on the orientation between Saturn in its orbit and Earth. But he observed it long enough so that in the cycle of that relationship, Saturn went edge on and then the The, rings disappeared to him. And he said, Could Saturn have eaten his children? Hmm. If you remember your mythology, that's exactly yeah, what, what the, the god t- Saturn right. did. What a literate reaction to a cosmic phenomenon. You're listening to Star Talk Radio back after the break.
0: This podcast is supported by FedEx.
1: PXG.com slash star talk, code star talk.
2: We are back on Star Talk Radio. I'm your host, Neil deGrasse Tyson. I'm your personal and private astrophysicist. Ch- Chuck, Chuck, <laughs> why are you laughing,
1: Chuck? that it just sounds so dirty. <laughs> oh, sorry, okay. Uh, uh. <laughs> it's like, wow, I never had my own Well, the show has developed this huge
2: listener base, and I, I feel like, you know, we we belong to one another. Yeah, that's
1: cool, I, 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 I know what you're saying.
2: I feel a relationship. I love it. Uh, I got Chuck Nice here. Chuck, you, you collected... Questions from the Internet. Yes. And uh,
1: they're all about uh, human performance in space and anywhere else. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And uh, pretty Got to give it to these uh, these listeners man. Some uh, very inventive and uh, thought provoking questions. Excellent. So sense. you mean there are no crazy people. <laughs> oh, no, there's still them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're editing them <laughs> oh, out. Oh, no, I'm gonna bring you those too. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, I'm gonna bring you those too. Okay, go for it. Here we go. How will science attempt? This is from Heather. Um, I'm sorry, Michelle Webb. How will science attempt to prevent the founder effect on isolated populations of humans if we travel to and or colonize another planet? I'm not completely sure what she means by founder
2: effect, but I can imagine Mm-hmm. there's this there's one of the, one of the great episodes of twilight zone showed this colony that had uh, landed on a planet and colonized the planet on a level where they're having children you know and 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 everyone's getting older and the the goal was to sort of reproduce themselves mm-hmm. and the person who was sort of the leader of the pack upon landing ended up with a bizarre ended up assuming a bizarre and And perverse level of control over that colony. Hmm. So in other words, why do we say that some people who are our leaders are just crazy? Because we have examples of other leaders who are not crazy. Right. All right. And you can say, no, I don't want that. I want this other one. So then you leave this leader and go vote for the next one. Or you, you, you do something to change it. If you have only one leader, a founder of a colony, Mm -hmm. and you know of no other kind of society, and you're born into it, it can lead to, psychologically, it can lead to some disturbing and distorted understandings of what human interaction would or should be. Mm -hmm. Now, what I'm not sure about is this founder effect that we imagine that could happen on planets, why wouldn't that have happened in tribal societies long ago? If you're a tribe and you're distant from other tribes because you migrated there, or, or emigrated there, or you 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 wandered there. And you're all, you know, you got a tribe of, let's say 30 people that can get weird, I suppose. And mm-hmm. so I don't know what checks and balances might've existed in early man, you know, uh, early, early, uh, troglodytes.
1: Probably a big club to the head. The club. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like I, this founder. I forgot about the club. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs>
2: yeah, the club is the great equalizer. <laughs> That's right. How, how to handle idiot leaders. Uh, so. Um, yeah, so I, I think the solution is you send more than one uh, charismatic person, and then no one takes over, and you don't end up being completely uh, lost under the control of that leader. You know, here's a good example: Jonestown. Right, Jonestown. Who's old? Who's the listeners old enough to remember Jonestown? I Jonestown, think was, Guyana, Guyana, nineteen seventy. Jim Jones, nineteen seventy-eight. Jim Jones. Jones named it after himself. That, that's that, that's
1: that. the first
2: first <laughs> first sign that's going to be a problem. <laughs> submitted evidence A. You know, let's all go to Chuckville. <laughs>
1: We know we're in trouble now. <laughs> we're going to
2: Chuckville. <laughs> Exhibit A. And so you create a community, and you're the only, li- this man. I mean, and you're charismatic, and other people have uh, are prone to be followers. Right. Oh, my gosh. No telling what'll happen. So right. we already did the experiment. You know, it's there in Jonestown. It's there in Jonestown. So my hope is that you'd set up more than one colony so that they could fight each other. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. And now you've created Earth. <laughs> Look at that. (laughs) You happy now? There you go. All
1: right, one more before the break. Okay, here's one. I would like to know what Neil thinks about the Mars One project and if it can really be successful. And this is from Jonathan Partida. Can it really be successful, Mars One, or is it a pipe dream? Well, you need people who invent projects like that in our midst. Otherwise, we'll never go
2: anywhere. Hmm. So this is there's an entrepreneur from the Netherlands who has it in mind to, to first send some reconnaissance spacecraft to Mars. And then every two years, uh, two and a half years, when our position with Earth and Mars line up for minimum energy transfer of the craft, to send astronauts there and build a colony. Mm-hmm. And so it's ambitious. I think it's a little too ambitious. I, th- I don't think... I mean, somebody's got to do it. And there's always someone who says you're too ambitious. So I don't want to be one of the ones that said, see, told you so, as they were drinking martinis on the, you know, on Valles Marineris yeah. there. But, <laughs> <coughs> <laughs> so I think it's great that we have people thinking this way. My worry is that they might be overdreaming. And and there might be some investors who think the real the the destination is closer than it actually is. Mm-hmm. So my hope is that it's all transparent, and the risks right. and the timetables and the costs are all made open. And the more of this, the better.
1: So there you have it. Invest your money, but just know you'll never see a return. <laughs> <laughs> all right. When we come back, more
2: of star talk radio i'm neil degrasse tyson this is star talk after hours the cosmic queries portion of the show Back, Star Talk Radio. I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson, Chuck Nice in studio with me, yes, sir, in New York City. Love having you on the show. Love being here, man. Thanks for doing this. You've been reading questions to me, called from the internet, on space exploration and human endurance and human
1: performance, and broadly, just what's up with that? Right. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So you know, here's what's funny because you were talking about Mars One and uh, just before the break, Mars One, and Jonathan asked about whether whether it'll be a pipe dream. Okay, but now Heather comes behind Jonathan and says, Heather Laird says, can we bring our cats to Mars? Cause I'll go if I can bring my cat. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, so a couple of things.
2: Getting to Mars is not simply, can you create a spacecraft that'll accomplish it? If you want to set up a colony, you need to create sustainable resources there. The entire history of the space program is one where you're packing your bag with everything you're gonna need and use while you're there, including the water, the food, Everything Mm. and you leave this trail of garbage along the way and you come back with nothing all right? That's how that works if you're going to sustain a colony, you need sustainable food su- sources. You need sustainable energy sources. All the things that we take for granted here on Earth because it's beneath our feet or coming out of a faucet in the wall right. needs to be configured in your colony on Mars. And I don't know that we're there yet. I yes. bet it's easier to get there technologically than it is to figure out how to stay there. How to stay there. Yeah, it's a whole other whole other need and requirement of that colony. Then the people have to be able to get along. Right. And and by the way, pets, getting back to the cat question, b- bring a certain level of tranquility to many people. True, They form an important psychological support for them mm-hmm. in ways that other humans don't. So perhaps- one of these Mars missions should bring the dog and the cat and the chinchilla whatever right, it is right. <laughs> whatever it is you pet. Maybe there's the, the arc, you know, the animal arc <laughs> that brings over all the the pets that we know and love. Or or maybe we'll just have a mechanical stuffed animal, you know. Right. To make that
1: work So there so there you go So there's your answer, Heather You can bring your cat But you're going to have to eat it <laughs> Eventually <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: From what I hear, they're delicious Okay <laughs> Alright, let's move on <clears throat> Let's go uh, to Facebook again mm-hmm. And this is Torin El Toro. <laughs> oh, Turin El Toro. That's the most interesting man in the world. You got a name like that. Exactly. I don't always drink those suckies, <laughs> but when I do, <laughs> I drink it with a straw. Okay, so um, <laughs> what sort of dangers, short and long term, do people face when spending time in space? I guess he means short and long term physical dangers. Yeah, so space, you
2: could get. Hit by a micro meteoroid and it would blast a hole through you. And you can be hit by a, a smaller, par- slower moving particle and it will just create a hole in your pressurized suit and you will depressurize and it'll boil your blood. You could run out of oxygen and suffocate. You can get to your destination and if there's no food, then you starve. You can, if your heating uh, materials within your suit are not working, the side of you facing the sun will run rise to 200 degrees, and the side of you facing away will drop to 200 degrees below zero. And unless you set up a rotisserie, you will simultaneously burn and freeze one half of you versus the other.
1: What else might happen? Yeah, that's kinda of cool. <laughs> okay, so you, you would actually become a bomb pop. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's cool. If you
2: if you happen to go when the sun belches, the sun burps up plasma pies into space, and if that happens to be headed your way, you'll be exposed to ionizing radiation that will alter your DNA in ways we cannot predict.
1: Oh, let's but, just hope it's the way that turns
2: me into the Hulk. Except that most ways will kill you. Oh, there you go. Damn. I know. I no and so uh, yeah but you know have a nice day <laughs> 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 all right. you could burn up re-entering the atmosphere your engine can, uh, could explode coming back so space is supremely hazardous to human biology and in fact all biology right that's all I'm sa- that I'm just saying
1: so so that begs the question do we really belong there <laughs> Hmm. <laughs> there are people who want to
2: genetically engineer a human that is just hap- happy in space. And I just don't know how you're going to do that because all life, the space is hostile to essentially all life. So you can genetically engineer it in some other life form, but it's still life. Right? right? It's, not, it's not, you know, uh, Megatron. It's life. Right. So it's, it's, it's soft tissue life. We're running out of time. In this segment alone, when we come back, more Cosmic queries: the After Hours edition.
3: Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories.
2: We're back, Star Talk Radio. The After Hours edition, Cosmic Queries. Chuck, nice comic. You come in and you help me get through these. Yes, sir. These questions yeah. from our listeners.
1: My pleasure to do so. And uh, we got a bunch of questions left. And these are questions you pick. I've never, se- I haven't you even have seen no them. No idea what yeah. I'm going to mm-hmm. ask you. Mm-hmm. And I got a bunch of them left. So okay. I think we should uh, move to our lightning round. Oh, because okay. I got a lot. Of, I got a lot of questions here, but not a lightning long round. All right, go for right, it. You ready? Mm-hmm. Here we go, Richard Branson. Oh, no. It's Brandon Richardson. (laughs) (laughs) I'm joking. If I could comprise a team to build a spaceship to go to the moon, would there be any government agency that could stop us? So if you were able to actually have the resources to build a spaceship to go to the moon, can the government say, no, you can't go? You can probably find some country that will let you do it. I don't think –
2: well, you would need a local municipality to to let you – Launch and their safety regulations and their rules about what gets sent up into the atmosphere You have to know that there aren't any satellites. So You got to know stuff All right, <laughs> and it's not clear that America would let you do that just yet. There had to be some version of the uh, FAA mm-hmm. the F S a federal space administration as opposed to the federal aviation Administration that would be cool, right new agency. I'd love it I think uh, the trend now is to promote commercial access to space So I think all looks good But if you want to do that now because you got something you're gonna roll out of your garage Mm -hmm. I don't think you can do that in America.
1: Go find some other country to do it. So there you go, buddy Your answer is Australia. Yeah, okay. (laughs) Okay moving on Wayne Elliers says, why does a person need a pressure suit to stay alive during a spacewalk? Why isn't something like scuba gear sufficient? Oh, well, in space, if you're not facing
2: the sun, it is so cold that every rubber part of your spacesuit will get so cold that it will become brittle. And if you move within it, it will shatter like glass. Wow. And that's where it begins.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it just gets worse it, it, from there, it just, Wayne. It just gets worse.
2: Okay, uh, but most most of the reason why you have the pressurized suit is that so you can maintain a temperature, a constant temperature. So it's okay. your it's, a, it's your own body heat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Here's Alex Basso. But pressurized suit around
1: your body, right. around your face. You need the pressurized air, otherwise you suffocate. Next. Gotcha. Ding. Alex Basso. On other planets where life presumably exists, would the skies be blue like on? Earth? earth or would there be different colors oh nice
2: isn't that a good question yeah well for for most kinds of atmospheres we can dream up the sun's light which is all roy g biv red orange yellow green blue indigo violet the whole spectrum is coming from the sun right we get a blue sky because the blue section of that spectrum gets scattered by particles in the atmosphere and doesn't come straight through and if you take blue light out of roy g biv What's left? Red, orange, yellow. Mm, And so sunsets are, the sun is red, red, yellow, and the sky is deep blue. So that is such a common phenomenon that you'd expect nice, beautiful red sunsets and blue skies. You could probably, for a science experiment, create an atmosphere that would invert that. That would be cool. Cool. A blue sun and red sky. Nice. Uh, but particles that we know of don't, that's not really what dust and other things that are natural to kick up in the, in the sky.
1: Next. Very quickly, a follow up question from Chuck Nice wants to know <laughs> Chuck <laughs> Nice. <laughs> Chuck
0: if, there nice were part,
1: if there were particles in the air like a firmament of water vapor, could you have a sky that would be a constant rainbow? Yes. Okay, next question. Next question. <laughs> <laughs> no, the good thing about it is you can get
2: rainbows that circle the, the sources of light in the sky. Right. right? And so uh, the thing about rain is that it's not up there in the, uh, in the high elevations, it's down where you are because it's raining. Right. Right. But if you get it high up enough, you get things like uh, sun, star bows, you get moon bows and sun bows, you get rainbows and other kinds of configurations. Sweet.
1: Yes. Next. Sarah Harper wants to know is there a scientific reason for us to return to the moon now? You know, we we landed
2: in six spots. Imagine you're an explorer. Imagine, if you will, Mm -hmm. you're an explorer, and you land in six random spots on Earth, and you then declare, I know all there is to know about (laughs) Earth. First of all, all six of your locations would have been in the ocean. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> no, maybe five out of the six, if you landed randomly. And so you'd say, earth is mostly water, and you'd be right. But that's all you'd know. That's all you'd know. <laughs> Worst <laughs> explorer ever Ever, <laughs> ever. Uh, So I- I'm, I'm partial to Mars Because it once had running water and might have life But there are moon people out there That so desperately want to go back
1: And I'm not going to stand in their way Next Good So speaking of Mars Ian Stewart McPherson wants to know If Mars had standing water in the past How would the tith- It's now sitting <laughs> 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 it's- <laughs> That's <laughs> corny, sorry Go, we got to go quick We're if running out has, of time If it had standing water in the past How would the ties have worked with two moons? Well, Mars's
2: moons are so wimpy. Oh my gosh, they're like ten miles across. Uh-huh. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. No. So basically, their moon, two of their moons, doesn't equal one of ours. But no, what, where our moon is thousands of miles. It's, it's two thousand miles across, and you got ten. They're like little, little. Oh, look at you with your galley moons, galley <laughs> moons. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah, no, there ain't no significant tides on Mars. Give that one up. Uh, but two tides, by, by the way, Earth has two tides one from the sun and one from the moon. That's why during full moon, the tides are higher because the tides line up and the high tide from the moon and the high tide from the sun add together and you get your super high tides. Gotcha. Truck, we're out of time. We are out of time. Gotta run. Star Talk Radio, the After Hours Cosmic Queries edition. <laughs> You've been listening to Star Talk Radio, brought to you in part by a grant from the National Science Foundation. As always, I am Neil Tyson bidding you to keep looking up.
3: At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.